this morning is coming from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. That's uh, page 898 in the Pew Bible. That's Mark 14, 1 and 2. And after two days it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priest and the scribes sought how they might take him uh, by trickery and put him to death. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're our guest this morning, again, we welcome you. It does encourage us that you're here. It's a wonderful day as it is Sunday, a day to worship God, but it's also a day that we emphasize prayer. And literally hours upon hours of prayers will be prayed in this room today. And whether you're a member or a guest, you are invited. And uh, they will begin at the top of each hour. There'll be two men leading prayer. And if you need to make plans, usually... It's somewhere between 30 to 45 minutes for the two prayers, and it will probably be one of the best things that you've done lately. You'll probably walk out saying, I am so thankful I did that, and I want to encourage you to take advantage of that opportunity. Now, whether you do or don't, isn't it wonderful to think of the fact that every member here is going to be prayed by name. Every ministry will be prayed for specifically. Everybody that's turned in prayer requests, those things will be prayed. And do continue to turn in your prayer requests, and those will be taken care of throughout the day. We have a lot to be thankful for, and we have a little tradition around here, and I know it's grown to be very special to a lot of our families individually as it's kind of become a family tradition as well as a church family tradition. And so I just want to give you that reminder that now is the time today or tomorrow to begin making your list of 10 things for which you're thankful for. And, uh, and you can have a pretty good list going by the time Thanksgiving rolls around. And, uh, and you can share those lists with each other. I know in, in our family, uh, usually after we eat our Thanksgiving meal, we just go around the table taking turns, reading five or ten at a time. And it has grown to be a special thing. But perhaps more important than even that is just the time of stopping and being thankful. It's easy when we get full, when we get big houses, and when we get comfortable to forget God. You thought I was talking to you, didn't I? That's what Moses said to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy. Now, if you think that would apply to you, maybe it's still true thousands of years later. But it is our human nature that we tend, at the time we ought to be the most grateful, to take things for granted. And so be sure that, that you give some thought uh, to a life of gratitude. And if during this time placing a special emphasis on that helps you, so be it. Let's place that special emphasis on it. We're studying the trials of Jesus today. And if you would be making your way to John the 18th chapter. John the 18th chapter. And in the Bible that's in your pews, it'll be in 900 and it's either like 58 or 59 in the Bible that's in your pew. And we'll look out of several verses of that as our text this morning gives us the lead way into that, that the idea that they were going to arrest Jesus, whether they could find something that he was guilty of or not, that was a definite. If they had to do it by trickery, they were ready to do it by trickery. And so now we come and we study that time where they do arrest Jesus. 
As we think about the trials of Jesus, though, in your Bible classes today, what I would like to do even more so as we will talk a little bit about the trials, but that's not the primary focus this morning of this, as much as it is to look at also the denial of Peter. When you look in your Bible in John, the 18th chapter, you see that both of these stories are told within this one passage. As we think about both of these stories being told, let's get the setting real quick to these stories. Look back to John, the 18th chapter again. You see in verse eight, the 18th chapter in verse 1, we have the apostles leaving the upper room. Jesus has just celebrated the great Passover feast with them that would have been introduced since Moses' day. He had also initiated the Lord's Supper that you just participated in. He also washed their feet. They sung a hymn and they left to go down and and cross a brook and up into a, a garden. And it was there that Jesus cried vehemently, agonizing prayer. He took the closest of the apostles even closer into the mouth of the garden, into the gateway of the garden. And there he, he asked them to stay and to pray. And he went deeper into that garden to pour out his heart to God. And when he would come back, he would find them asleep and he would go and he would, he would pray again and he would come back and he'd find them asleep again. But his prayer was to let this cup pass from me. Friends, Jesus did not look forward to the physical torture and to the separation from His God that would be a part of bearing the sin of the world upon the cross. It was there that He found the strength being ministered to by angels to stand up and to walk out and to face those who would arrest Him. That was the kiss of betrayal by Judas. Because you see, by this time, Jesus' popularity had grown so much so that when he walked in just a few days into Jerusalem, they laid down palm leaves for him to walk on and they cried out to him, hailing him King of the Jews. In Jerusalem, the highest power of the Jews would have been the high priest. They were hailing him much greater than even the highest official in Jerusalem. You can see now why the scriptures tells us it was envy of those individuals that put Jesus on the cross. The high priest didn't want anybody taking his power. He didn't want anyone taking his followers. He's not going to arrest him in the daytime out in the public. He's so popular right now. So he gets one of his closest. They pay him 30 pieces of silver. Tell us where he is at night. And verse 2 tells us that Judas does know. And Judas who betrayed him also knew the place, for Judas often met there with his disciples. And the kiss of betrayal is given. The troops are there to take Jesus. And if you're scanning this, you'll notice in the third verse that whenever they come at the end of verse 3, they have lanterns, they have torches, and they have weapons. Can you imagine out in the quietness of a garden? Can you imagine what that must have looked like and sounded like? To hear anywhere from 600 to 1,000 men, now keep in mind they're coming to arrest one man, 600 to 1,000 men, they're carrying lanterns and torches and they're marching along and you can hear their weapons clanging and you can hear the footsteps and you can see them at a distance and Jesus could have had all the opportunities to run. But keep in mind, 
John 10 reminds us of a powerful truth that they didn't take Jesus' life, that He was giving His life. Did you notice in the Scripture reading this morning in Mark the 14th chapter, in verse 1 and 2, they even said when they were making the plans to take Jesus by trickery and to put Him to death, that they would not do it during the Passover. Now isn't that interesting that now they are arresting Jesus and they're going to crucify Him during the Passover. What does that tell us? That tells us that Jesus was in charge of this every step of the way. They're not acting on their timetable. They're acting on Jesus' timetable. And if you want to see a few other proofs that Jesus is in charge all along the way, notice they come in verse 4 and He asked them, Who are you seeking? And He says in 5 that He is He. In other words, they answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And now, notice what happened in verse 6. When he answered who he was, the end of 6 says, they drew back and fell to the ground. When you have a troop of maybe a thousand men, and your word is so powerful that it brings them to their knees, don't you think that he would have had no problem taking care of the situation himself? And anyways, he still could call thousands of angels to help if that would be the case also. Jesus is very much still in charge. Now, to see that again, look with me, if you will, in verse 8 and 9. Jesus answered, and He told them, Therefore, if you seek Me, let these go their way. And verse 9 tells us He was saying that to fulfill prophecy. Now, again, please picture this. A thousand, perhaps, a thousand armed men are standing there. They're there to take you in their control. And what is Jesus doing? Well, first he's bringing them to the ground. You can imagine now as they're standing up, he's saying, oh, and by the way, let's just get something real clear. You're here for me. You're going to let these people go. Isn't that interesting? That the single man that's being arrested is the one calling the shots? That was fulfilling prophecy. The others were not going to be harmed. And then, this will mean more if you'll just picture in your mind, have you ever noticed when people are there to, to, to do something of a physical nature, all it usually takes is that first punch and you have a brawl? Isn't it amazing that Peter at this point, the next two verses will tell us, will pull out his sword and he'll cut off Malchus's ear? What stopped that from being a war right there? Jesus is in control. He quickly is able, still in control of both sides. Peter, you put up your sword. Malcolm, let me put your ear back on. That would have been amazing to see, wouldn't it? But, but what do we see in all this? Here is the man being arrested in charge of the situation. Now what does all this tell us? The first point that I want you to see this morning is how blind sin makes us. We look at this now, looking back 2020 hindsight, and we say, how could they not see that He was the Messiah? How could they not see how powerful He was? How could they not see how, how great that He was? Friends, sin blinds us. Sin is from the source of deception, and when we are involved in it, we believe lies and we fail to see the truth. And that was what was happening in this time. And that leads us to, to a very uh, wonderful 
aspect of this scripture that, again, we won't have time to fully develop it this morning, but I just want you to think about this, and I want you to draw, hopefully, some encouragement from this. And that is this, this second fact, and that is, why did the Holy Spirit choose to give us two dramas interwoven into one passage? For example, you can open up most commentaries, and even though it is recorded giving us clips of, here is Jesus' trial, Here's about Peter's first denial. Here's Jesus' trial. Here's about Peter's second and third denial. Here is Jesus' trial. You notice that our human nature is we generally do not study it that way. You open up your commentaries and a lot of times they'll study about Peter's first, second, and third and out. They'll just bring it and bunch it all together. A lot of the time when we do it in, in Bible classes, we'll study, let's study the trials of Jesus. There's nothing wrong with what I'm saying. I just want us to stop this morning and ask ourselves this question. Why did the Holy Spirit choose to take these two different stories and interweave them so that we can't help but read both of them if we're going to read one of them? Why? Why does the Holy Spirit want us to see both of these if we're even going to read just one of them? I believe that it's because in these two stories, when they are blended together, we see the holiness of, and, and the glory of Jesus Christ, and we also see the sinful nature of mankind. When we see the two side by side, each one helps us to identify the other. Let me give you an example. Several years ago, and, and you're, you're going to know, and that's one reason why I mentioned it, several of you will, will know these individuals. Several years ago, James Hill and Thaddeus Hill worked out daily. At that particular time, James played professional football for Seattle. Thud, we call him, had just come out of college playing tight end. One is 6'5", and one is about 6'4". One was weighing about 240, and one was weighing about 220. And, and I remember seeing them one day pull up in an S10 pickup. And I kid you not, at that point in time, they were so bulked up, they kind of bowed over inside the pickup, and they had one arm, each of them had an arm out the window, and their shoulders were touching on the inside. And it, it just looked hilarious. Any time, especially during that time, even still today, but any time during that time, I would stand and visit with them. Every time it would go through my mind, I am such an itty-bitty person. Every time, I couldn't help it. You're standing there talking to them, and, and you know, we're friends. It's not like I'm, I'm gawking. I've known them since they've been little boys. And, and, you know, but I just stand there, and every time, I'm just standing there talking to them, and they're huge, and they lift massive amounts of weight. And I think, who am I? I, I mean, I'm so tiny. But isn't it interesting that a lot of you I can stand next to, and that never runs through my mind. Isn't that interesting? Now think about this. We could study the trial of Jesus and not think anything about our human nature, and it might not be as spectacular as what it really was in our mind's eye. Or we could look at the faults of Peter and not see it mixed into the perfection of Jesus, and his faults might not look so bad to us. 
I want to tell you something that I've never thought of from this exact angle until this week. Do you realize that one of the reasons perhaps Peter seems to make so many mistakes when we read about him in the scriptures is because we almost see, we almost always see him making those mistakes standing next to who? If David Shannon walked beside Jesus every day, you would say, man, David is a terrible guy. He's just making mistakes all the time. Why? Because if you're going to walk beside Jesus Christ, the only perfect and great one that's ever been on the face of this earth, you're going to look pretty weak and feeble. I mean, think about it. When's the last time you've seen somebody step out of the boat and sink in the water and say, oh, he has a little faith? Normally we say, that's normal. But you know why it didn't look so normal that day? Because he was standing beside Jesus on top of that water. Normally, if, if, if there's an individual that says, I'm innocent, but they're going to arrest me and execute me, it would be pretty normal for a friend to say, Jesus, I won't let that happen. But you see, because it was Jesus, and he was on a spiritual journey... He then rebukes Peter to say, get behind me, Satan. And now his mistake looks like the mistake that it is. Friends, I've just given you the punch to this lesson. I just want to take the next few minutes to develop that. And I want each of us to realize this. If we're walking through life and we're feeling pretty comfortable about who we are because we haven't spent much time in the Scriptures, if we're feeling comfortable with who we are because we compare ourselves to each other, we need to stop and make sure that we get to know Jesus real well. That's why we're doing this fall focus with an emphasis on the study of the life of Jesus Christ. If we're ever going to achieve spiritual greatness, we have to stop comparing ourselves to ourselves or to others, and we have to constantly keep our eyes on the Lord because only then do we have our focus correct, spiritually healthy. And so what is it about his life and his ministry and Peter and, and his life and his failures that when we see it side by side, we can learn? And, and so for just the next few seconds, the next few minutes, scan with me some verses and let's just highlight this. Look in 12, 13, and 14. In John the 8th chapter and verse 12, we see that Jesus is arrested and they bound him. And, and that's interesting to think. Here's the one who's been controlling this whole situation and now they're binding him as if cords could hold him. And then we go to 13, and they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Cephas, who was the high priest that year. Let's think for just a moment about how ugly wickedness is anyway, but especially when we're looking at it right beside Jesus Christ. Annas and Cephas were probably some of the most wicked leaders Jerusalem knew. They were terrible, terrible high priests. Now, Annas was the powerhouse. When Jesus was a little boy, he would have been the high priest in Jerusalem. But keep in mind, they're under bondage to Rome. The Roman emperor, by year 15, started figuring out <clears throat> that he had too much power in that town. And so he forced him out of office. He probably, and history would support this, purchased the office for the next high priest. You kiss the feet of the emperors, 
you push a lot of money their way, and you can get your son in as the high priest. And when the emperor says, we've had enough of him, you get your second son in. This is history. We've had enough of him, get your third son in, your fourth son, your fifth son. Now when you don't have a son to put in, what do you do? Put in a grandson. And then the seventh one he put in was where we are today. Put in a son-in-law. And that is Caiaphas. And why do we say he was wicked? Let me give you a couple of examples. We're familiar with concession stands. He ran concessions at the temple. Did he sell hot dogs and, and chips and, and cheese dip? It would have been just about as bad, if not what he did was worse. You know how they would have to bring sacrifices and offer at the temple? He would set up in the Gentiles' court concession booths. And so a family comes into town, the high priest or the priest has to look at their sacrifice and accept whether or not it was a worthy sacrifice. Remember under the old law, it had to be without spot and blemish. And so they would show their lamb to the priest. Now with this racket that's going on, you can imagine what the priest is going to say. I'm sorry, we can't accept that lamb. But if you'll step out, into the court of the Gentile, there's a booth set up where you can purchase a lamb and offer it. History says that they would charge up to five times the price of a lamb. And all of this was the mastermind of Annas. History also tells us that there were some Passovers where 250,000 lambs were slaughtered. Can you imagine the money they were making at just Passover by being able to profit off of this shameful, shameful business? Not only that, if they were going to give money, they needed to give of the local currency. Why do you think they had the money exchangers in the temple? Who do you think profited off of that? Now, with this in mind, can you see how the envy of Annas would be stirred against Jesus because on more than one occasion, you remember what Jesus did? You remember when He went into the temple and He cleansed the temple? It's adding up very quickly for Annas. Not only if we don't stop Him, is He going to take over our religion? I'm going to lose my money cow that I have producing all of my wealth. And so quickly they decide, we need to put him to death. Friends, this morning, we look at a story that goes back and forth. And, and I've just got to show you this and then we close. If you have your Bible open, look at verse 15 through 18. Now we're studying the, trial, the, the denial of Peter. And then we go right back to the trial in 19 through 24. And then without any explanation, we go right back to the denial of Peter again, 25 through 27. And I would like now to, to we're skipping to the very end. I'd like for you to look at Luke, the 22nd chapter, and I want you to see how this all comes together. If, if we had time to study verse by verse, we would have seen two stories taking place, one at one place and one at another. And it's been going back and forth, back and forth. But then these two stories come together and they'll come together for the close of our lesson. Look at Luke, the 22nd chapter. And look at verse 60 
as we says. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately. Now this is his third denial. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Now that was probably about 3 a.m. in the morning at that point. So you can imagine probably, I'm just guessing here, but probably the rooster is thinking, why is God having me to crow at 3 a.m. in the morning? This is way too early. But it worked out just as God planned it. Right when he denied the third time, the rooster crows. And now look at 61. And the Lord turned. Now see, they hadn't been in view. There's nothing that leads us to believe that they've been in view of each other before this point. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter, remembering the words of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And Peter went out and he wept bitterly. Can you imagine that look? Have you ever been doing something that, that later, after the fact, you wish you had not been doing And while you were doing it, someone walked up. And do you remember when your eyes caught each other's eyes for that moment? Do you remember how you felt? Do you remember how your heart felt and how it fell? Can you imagine how Peter felt when not once, not twice, but the third time with cursing and swearing to make it more effective, he is denying that he has anything to do with Jesus. And as the rooster crows, he he hears the rooster, he looks around, and there's Jesus looking at him. And it's then that he goes out and he weeps bitterly. This morning, I must realize that comparing myself to a self-made standard is not going to help me. I need to place that challenge ahead of me, of my Lord, and grow toward Him every day. That's why it doesn't matter how many decades we follow the Lord. If our eyes are on the right standard, there's always room for tremendous growth. There's nobody here that that wouldn't be true of. This morning, can we help you take a step closer to God? Is your life right with God? We're studying the trial that's going to lead to the crucifixion and then the resurrection of Jesus. He's our Savior. Is He your Savior? If not... Do you believe that He's the Son of God? Are you willing to repent of sins, confess before men, and be baptized into Christ? Why not do that this morning? If you have done that, and along the way you've compared yourself to others. You know, sometimes as Christians, and this really, when we stop and think about it, it baffles our mind, doesn't it? Sometimes we compare ourselves to people in the world. And we talk about how, how good we are compared to people. Think how foolish that is. This morning, we're not asking any of us to compare ourselves to anyone except the Lord. And if you need to come back to Him this morning, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.